Hi everyone, this is Steve Rose with the Anarchist Standard, and today I'm joined by uh, Stefan Kinsella. For those of you who don't know, and probably most people who listen to this show do know, Stefan is probably the leading intellectual theorist about IP, or I guess you could say anti-IP in the libertarian movement. He's also a legal theorist uh, and a practicing lawyer. So uh, thank you for agreeing to talk, Stefan. How are you today? Very good. Glad to be here. So as I mentioned in the preliminaries, the, the idea of this show is, I mean, I've listened to dozens of your podcasts and uh, about, about IP and legal theory. And, but I mean, the idea behind this show is to get people's uh, committed anarchist idea about what we should do. You know, what, what should our strategy be? And, and you, you have, you know, read a lot about anarchist theory itself beyond IP, so I thought I'd reach out to you and just sort of, you know, get your ideas. So I thought it might be a good place to start to, if you could just tell us about your journey to libertarianism and anarchism, and I've read your, your article, How I Became a uh, Libertarian, but just for people who might, might not have read that, like, how did you get to these ideas, and, where, you know, could you maybe sort of talk for a minute or two about that? Sure. Um... I, so I'm 50 years old now. I've been a libertarian since uh, late high school, uh, 1980 or so, um, and I was like a, a Randian minarchist for quite a while. I think in, in in college and then grad school and then law school, I you know around 88, 89. So we're talking 17, 18 years ago now. Um, uh, after reading the the anarchists like the Tannehills and Rothbard and David Friedman and others, um, finally just it just the, the the view of the the, the minarchist view of Rand just crumbled away. I don't remember an epiphany in our moment, but I became an anarchist sort of just naturally. So um, I do call myself a libertarian. I heard one of your recent shows where you were debating, um, not debating, but discussing the. Uh, the sort of cowardice of some people for using the word libertarian, and I agree with you. That is one reason some libertarians use it. Uh, not me, and not Hoppe, and not Rothbard, and not people that um, uh, I follow. We readily admit we're anarchists. Um, I guess there's a there's a, a slight debate about whether we should say we're anarchist libertarians or whether we're libertarian anarchists. Uh, Gerard Casey's new book is uh, about two three years old now. It's great. I think it's called Libertarian Anarchism. Um, I think I might – I don't know. I think I might say I'm an anarchist libertarian because I think libertarian is the main thing, and I agree with you and your previous guest that um, a consistent libertarianism is anarchist, right? But the problem with the word anarchist is, as you guys alluded to, it, it, it has connotations that confuse people, and there are people that call themselves anarchists which are not libertarian, and I don't consider them – well, I don't consider them to, to be real libertarians and not even real anarchists to be honest. Because what they favor would require a state or something as bad as a state to enforce uh, the violation of property rights, etc. So to me, libertarianism is the thing, and you could broaden the scope of libertarianism to include minarchists and even classical liberals, but only with the caveat that you know uh, we're doing this almost out of a begrudging politeness <laughs> yeah. um, and letting them in the temple because they're close to. Uh, 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 the ideal of the libertarian uh, principle, which is non-aggression right, and respect for property rights and, and um, 
the ability to cooperate with each other in a world that's conflict-free, where conflict can be avoided. So anarchy is just uh, one implication of libertarianism. If you're a consistent libertarian, you recognize that all aggression is illegitimate, including private crime, but also including what we call private uh, – a public crime or institutionalized crime, which is what the state ultimately is. Mm -hmm. So if you're a consistent libertarian, you will be an anarchist because it's an implication of our views. I don't know if the reverse is true. I don't know if that all anarchists will be libertarians and respect rights. In fact, I think it's not true. So I think I would tend to say I'm an anarchist libertarian, which is to say a, a real libertarian. So I've been a, an anarchist libertarian since for you know 17, 18 years, and I've been working. And I, I view myself. Uh, I have learned more from the Misesian. That's the Austrian economics praxeological perspective, and from Hoppe and Rothbard, than probably almost uh, any other thinker. Um, almost all my writing is embedded in and refers to an anarchist framework, but I don't regard myself um, to date as a um, significant anarchist theorist. Um, I've written one article called What It Means to Be an Anarcho-Capitalist, and that's sort of my contribution so far. In a, in, a, in a scholarly way, um, and that article tries to distinguish between um, – it, it distinguishes between what you're in favor of in terms of your beliefs and what you think is possible. Quite often you'll get someone that will say um, uh, anarchy is unrealistic. Right. And that type of criticism I've always thought falls short of the mark. It's a little bit disingenuous. If I say I am opposed to murder, I am not saying that I believe it's feasible to have a world order where murder will never ever happen. I'm making a moral condemnation of the justice of that act or of the legitimacy of that act. I'm I'm condemning that act, and I'm asking the person I'm speaking with to tell me whether they agree with me or not, and most of the time they will. And when they change the subject and say, well, that's not realistic, I get nervous because the only reason to change the subject is if you don't want to agree with me and you want to save um, – you want to keep open the possibility where you can say in some cases murder is justified. So, so I, whenever someone doesn't want to agree with me that murder is illegitimate or aggression is illegitimate, um, like I sometimes say, I want to hold on to my wallet because they're coming after it. When someone says you're greedy and you just care about money, that's a, a prelude to them coming after your money. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so I'm an anarchist because I'm a libertarian. I'm a libertarian because I care about consistency and justice and righteousness and people respecting each other and living their own lives and being willing to let other people live their own lives. And if you have a modicum of honesty and intelligence – and self-honesty and economic – a little bit of economic literacy, like on the level of economics uh, in one lesson by Hazlitt, then – and you know a little bit of logic. If you combine those things, there's no way you can't but come to, I think, anarchist libertarian conclusions, even if they're fairly primitive. So that's sort of my stance. Um, I'm an anarchist in the sense that I believe the state is – uh, a monopoly of force implemented over a given area, 
it's it sustains itself because it's viewed as legitimate by the majority of the populace that it subjugates. So it rests upon a fiction, upon a legal mistake or upon a mistake, the mistaken view that the state is necessary or that the state is authorized by some higher power, God or whatever, or that it's legitimate. Mm-hmm. Um, so the state rests upon a mistake. The state is different than like a mafia because the mafia is not really viewed as legitimate. Right. It's a criminal gang like a mafia, but it's got the added aura of legitimacy because most people buy into the mistake. Mm. That's why Hoppe's one of Hoppe's books is called The Great Fiction. So there's a fiction about the necessity and the legitimacy and the efficacy of the state. Um, so this is where we find ourselves. We find ourselves in a in a society where the state is permeates every country in the world. Um, and we libertarians uphold principles that the state, you know, violates every day. Yeah. Uh- I agree with all of that, and it's. Uh, I was going to ask you this: Do you ever use the term voluntarism? Do you think that that's because some people have said that voluntarism it's a, it's kind of a word that's not really nobody, most people don't really use. But you know, we don't have to, we wouldn't have to be if we don't call ourselves we don't want to call ourselves anarchism because it's got a historical connotation with you know the communists, and uh, libertarianism is sort of being taken over by minarchists. Or I mean, do you think voluntarism could could be a word that. Well, I, I'm I'm a kind of stu- I'm a stubborn type. I do call myself an anarchist, um, yeah. and I call myself a libertarian in 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 polite society in context where people don't understand or like it very much. I'm a stubborn type. I sort of fall by Ayn Rand's uh, stubbornness in using the word selfishness, although I don't agree with her on that one exactly. But someone asked her, "Why do you use the word selfishness um, when people misunderstand it and they equate it with greed or?" Other things, and she said, "I use the word for the reason that makes you afraid of it." <laughs> you know, I, I'm just a stubborn type. I don't like to give in. I don't right. want to get rid of the word liberal. I do add classical when I have to to under, to explain. Um, uh, I'm just of the age where voluntarist is a newer term. Mm-hmm. So I never, I wasn't. It's it's a for me, it's a relatively innovative term. I'm not opposed to it at all. I'm just reluctant to give up. I mean we ran from the word liberal because right. the socialists uh, co-opted it, and now the word libertarian is being um, co-opted by others, right. and just as the word capitalist has been and even anarchist. I just think it's okay to use a word that has an accepted meaning in a, in a fairly reasonably wide circle if you can define it. Right. Um, voluntarist I think is a fine word. I think it gets at the heart of what libertarianism is about, although I've heard that other… Um, libertarians and thinkers like Ayn Rand and others, they flirted – they said that like the word socialist would be a good word to describe us if it hadn't been co-opted by the left right. because we're for society and things like that. Honestly, if I could pick a new word right now, there's a word that Henry Hazlitt uh, put forth in the introductory part of um, his, uh, his book on uh, morality, um, and he said it should be cooperatism. Because really that's what we're about. We're about cooperating rather than um, uh, having fights or conflict with each other, although that's what voluntarism gets at too. So I think both those terms are fine. They're a little unwieldy. People don't understand them. You'll notice in the media today, like in the 
on the, on the Sunday morning news shows when they talk about Donald Trump and the Republicans and et cetera, the word libertarian comes up quite often. Mm-hmm. People understand – they're starting to understand what the word libertarian means. Right. They know what it means, sort of a radical, quote-unquote, right. extreme, free market, individualist point of view. Ted Cruz uses it. The other people sure. use it. So the word libertarian is finally getting into mainstream use, um, whereas 15, 20, 30 years ago, you had to be left or right. You had to be you know, Democrat or conservative or Republican, um, and now libertarianism is seen as a, uh, a, a different Somewhat thing that is – alternative. Somewhat acceptable as a descriptive term. Yeah. I just don't see that happening with voluntarism or – or anarchism, mm. right? Or cooperatism for quite a while. So I'm happy if libertarianism gets seen as a viable minority third position for now. But the terms to me are not that important. I just think we need to define our terms because if you don't define your terms, you face the danger of uh, equivocation or of uh, confusion and talking past each other. Mm-hmm. So as long as we define what we're talking about, I'm fine. I, I view voluntarists. As my allies, I view anarchists as my allies as long as they're libertarian anarchists, mm-hmm. right? So I don't really care what people call call themselves. Yeah, it seems like there's <clears throat> there's a liber- lot of self-proclaimed libertarians though who are trying to, you know, they want to they want to get more political credibility, so they dilute the message, and that, that's kind of what's happened. You know, you see like Cato Institute or, or other liber- quote unquote libertarian think tanks, which you know they have some good ideas but to a certain extent they don't like you were saying they're not intellectually consistent in 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 renouncing all state you know uh and then so what happens is the 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 message the idea of libertarianism in the public mind becomes more acceptable but also less i don't know maybe inspiring you know because it's no longer a totally different new vision of the world you know it's just Sort of a light version of the left and right, a hybrid of the left and right, you know. Correct. Well, are you, are you know the Nolan chart, right? This kind of two-dimensional yeah. chart that Dave Nolan came up with. I think Dave Nolan came up with it. It's, it's, I've seen, I've seen it in different forms over the years, but it's, it's a way of trying to illustrate what's unique about libertarianism, right? And they say that, you know, liberals or or, or or lefties or Democrats believe in more personal freedoms but not economic freedom and vice versa for the conservatives. And I think that's actually a caricature of what they really believe in. I think they both – I think the left and right are both very bad on both personal and economic liberties. Right. In fact, to be honest, I think the right, at least in America, is probably better – Slightly better on both than the left. Like oh. The right is better on economic liberties than the left, and I think they're even better on personal liberties than the left on balance. Oh, like yeah. If you look at the, the, the way the Supreme Court has decided on things, so the, the conservatives quite often tend to vote the libertarian or the right way on, on personal liberties issues like in terms of corporate free speech, mm-hmm. um, you know, in terms of campaign finance regulations, things like that. So. I think the right is slightly better than the left on both both dimensions. Mm-hmm. Um, you could say the left is better on war, but they're really not. I don't think the left is better on war. Yeah. There might be there may be lately slightly maybe. better in a What's that? Oh better rhetoric maybe. You know. Yeah, better rhetoric, but they're, they don't really mean it. And if, yeah. you know, the major wars America's been involved in we've been gotten into by democratic Most presidents. Democrat, I mean you point this yeah. When you point this out to a left libertarian, they'll say, "Well, those aren't really leftists." So you know you yeah. can't win with these guys. Right. Um, um, so I think the Nolan chart was useful, but I think it's a little bit 
deceiving in the sense that it tries to say that the spectrum is left and right, and you have to find yourself on that spectrum. Mm. I don't think we I don't think we are on that spectrum. We're libertarians. We're different than left and right. I don't think we're of the left or the right. Mm. Um, I think we're better than the left or the right because we believe really in human liberty and cooperation and in the lack of aggression in human affairs. That's what we believe in, and the smarter ones among us understand that that requires a solid institutionalized respect for private property mm -hmm. rights. It all ultimately all comes down to private property rights, right. which is why the anarcho-syndicalists and the left anarchists are not really libertarians right. in my view. You were talking about the uh, the, the difference between a criminal gang and, a, and the state is the state has the general consensus of the majority of the people. And yes. I, when I made this argument to people before, he says that that changes the character, which to a certain extent it does. But but it also how it how it manifests is the state employees of the state now have an incentive to manipulate the minds of the people because you know they want them to they want to continue to stay. So a criminal, I mean, this is I forget who it was. You wrote like uh, a criminal, you know, doesn't try to ch tell you that he's. He's doing it for for your own good. He just does that's it. That's Spooner. Lies Spooner, in the Spooner. Yeah, yeah. The well, like the state, yeah. you know, they have this incentive. So, and 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 this is sort of getting getting more to the strategy about how do we change people's minds? Because it seems like we are in this race. You know, we're people like us who are really into it. You know, intellectual, trying to be consistent. We can argue as much as we want about how this is an illegitimate organization but the, the state is taking our money and then funneling it back into propaganda to keep people's minds locked yes. into their so how would we uh, how would anarchists you know if you think about like going forward how are we going to take you know convince people to, to, to stay on our, our path you know because it's just there's this constant propaganda war going on and we have there's so it's so it's so hard for us to do you understand what I'm saying? I do. Um, well, first, I would say that I wouldn't be so quick to dismiss arguing among ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's 19, it's 2015, and you know, I'm only 50, and when I started, say, 30 years ago in this movement, uh, the movement was very limited. The materials are very sparse. Um, the internet wasn't around. We have a wealth of material and thought and a depth of thought and many more people now, partly because of this intergroup arguing, right? Mm -hmm. People – right. so uh, arguing with each other helps. Well, first of all, we some of us enjoy it, so right. that's a good thing. I mean it's part of your life, you, some, one of your hobbies or your activities that you enjoy, and it helps hone your skills, and it helps work out things over time, and it helps – it's part of the process of developing a broader – and wider and bigger sort of intellectual movement. So I don't I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, there's sort of a presumption built into. I mean, a lot of people nowadays have gotten into the movement not like in uh, the 80s or the 60s or the 70s. They got into it because they were sort of intellectual-minded people that were they came across a Rand, let's say Ayn Rand or Milton Friedman, right. and something sparked in their imaginations, something about justice, something about uh, an ideal utopia, whatever, and they glommed onto it, and they became diehard libertarians. They were smaller in number, but they came through a, a more or less intellectual uh, path like Milton Friedman and Ayn Rand. Right. Nowadays, we have 
I th- I still think today probably the biggest uh, uh, you know entry entrees into the libertarian movement would be Ayn Rand and probably Ron Paul. The Ron Paul's influence is probably fading too, and the libertarian party is there too. So it's more of a populist uh, kind of thing, and you have a lot of young people, a lot of students. They're not always reading all the greats. They're not always intellectual about it. I don't mean they're anti-intellectual, but it didn't. They didn't come through it in the same way. It's more intuitive. It's more about freedom, about their lifestyles. They hate the drug war. They hate the civil liberties violations. They hate war. That's all great. I understand all that. Um, but that means that a higher percentage now of libertarians have this activist mindset where they they assume automatically that what we are doing, the reason we're involved, what we're supposed to do when you start getting enlightened about just basic economic principles, when you start getting enlightened and you realize how ridiculous the idea of a minimum wage is, for example, right, and price controls uh, and the Federal Reserve, and then you think that the next step is you have to become an activist and go join the Ron Paul campaign. Or whatever, but my point is there's sort of a predisposition to think that we have to be activists. I don't think we should take that for granted. I don't think we should assume that. Maybe that's not the case for everyone. Maybe some people have different roles. I, I, I believe in the specialization and division of labor, so right. there's different roles for different people, and you have to meld it with your own life. Right. If it's a hobby, if it's something that's pleasurable to you, something you're especially good at, then people can do different things. You can right. run for office. You can write editorials. You can talk to people at the, at the dinner table. You know, you can talk at cocktail parties. You can just be a quiet person and read and study and improve your own life and um, uh, contribute to society just by pro- providing a service. I mean, maybe found a company that provides employment has nothing to do with liberty per se, but you're part of society and you have a, a pedestal, and either you're quiet or you say something from that, right? Uh, there's a great um, – I've got a couple of blog posts about this. People could find it's uh, Leonard, Leonard Reed, who was the founder of the Foundation of Economic Education, talked about this, and I think also did Albert J. Nock, who was like an early old right guy, early right. early paleo, uh, quasi-libertarian. They talked about the one of the purposes that you should one, – one of the strategies you should adopt as a freedom lover is just to focus on yourself. Right, improve yourself. I think the idea is called one improved right. unit. Mm-hmm. Just work it, work on improving yourself because that's a difficult task mm-hmm. on its own. And if you become excellent and successful in life, right. then people will come to you for advice naturally. And when you say things that have a freedom tinge or even an explicit freedom message, they will tend to uh, give that more credence than if it came from someone with no with no respectability. Well, that's one way to approach it. Yep, but the um, so I want to uh, stop stop you right there and, and ask you about that point because you know a lot and there's a lot of people in our movement who who have that you know like uh, Stefan Molyneux talks about this a lot you know peaceful parenting make make you know yes. teach teach non-aggression in your own life live live a life yes. of freedom right but but I mean if if the state keeps growing and you know it's to a certain extent. Going along with the state is what's going to make you successful, you know. I mean, in, in, so so people who are going to are going to see successful people are the are going to be the ones who compromise with the state. I mean, to a certain extent, if you really want to live yes. non-aggression, you say, "I'm not going to pay taxes." I'm not gonna, and, and and you become you you don't become somebody yep. people want to be. You become somebody like this angry. 
isolate yes. it sort of, you know, in your yeah. own. And I think uh, Jeff Dice recently called it liber libertarian ghettos, you know, and it really, there is really yep. this, this movement. A I lot think it's true. So, so, you know, uh, and and becoming an improve, one improved unit of of uh, um, from an ethical perspective, people do not necessarily uh, are not necessarily attracted to the most necessarily to the most ethical people. They're attracted yes. to a broad, eth you're ethical, but you're also you see what I'm saying. So I, I do see. So, so this and this gets a little bit into this thick thin debate, right? About what. <laughs> What the relationship of libertarian values is to other parts of of, of thinking or of life. Um, first of all, I think it's true that we have we have to recognize that we're not just libertarians. None of us are. Mm -hmm. um, even the most diehard libertarians don't care only about libertarian theory and libertarian principles and libertarian arguing and even liberty itself. We care about food and family relationships and our cultural connections to our country or whatever. Right. Uh, there's nothing about libertarianism that says that all you have to care about is liberty or libertarianism, uh, number one. So if, you, if, if that's really all you care about, I think that's only a subset of libertarians, and they are going to tend to be self-destructive uh -huh. in this society because they are going to care only about that. They're going to be stubborn about a draft or conscription or paying their income taxes, right. and they're just not going to get along in society. Right. On the other hand, I would say this. People that are more successful in the world, let's say in the world, mm -hmm. are going to tend to be people that live in countries that are relatively economically free on the interior. Right. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been rich in the first place because you have to have a certain amount of economic freedom and property rights respected for there to be a successful capitalist or semi-capitalist uh, you know, economy brewing that lets people rise within that. Right. So the people that are successful like in America, let's say the United States of America – will tend to be successful because they are doing things that are generally um, uh, uh, helpful to other people. They're providing right. services to other people. Not always, and there are lots of crony capitalist exceptions, etc., but as a general matter, and this is where I would disagree with the left libertarians who seem to think that almost everyone that makes more than a certain number of dollars every year right. is basically a corrupt person. The problem I have with that view is that it it seems to – it seems to ignore the the calculation problem of Mises. Mises says that if you have a socialist economy, you can't have economic calculation, and you can't have rational economic planning, and you can't have a lot of wealth production. Yet we seem to have it here, although I guess relative, the, at least relative to other countries. Yes, relative to other countries. Um, so, look, the the objectivists talk about this. They talk about how when you live in a quasi-free society. What are the moral boundaries to what like type of job you could accept? Like for example, could you accept a job as a firefighter in a state-run fire department right. because the state has co-opted the fire departments? Or could you accept a job as a as a as an eighth grade teacher where all the schools are public schools because the state has basically monopolized education? And I think the answer is yes, right. a qualified yes. But could you accept a job as a guard in a concentration camp in Hitler's Germany? Could you accept a job as an IRS agent or as a DEA agent putting people in jail or shooting people for selling marijuana? And it's a practical individual moral thing. It's not really political. Mm. I think there is a practical line in society. In today's society, we have certain degree of freedom. 
and we have a certain degree of fascism or control. And by the way, I don't agree that the state is growing larger, as you say, or necessarily getting bigger. Uh. Um, uh, I think – I mean if you look at one metric, the, the, the level of state spending as a percentage of GDP and the level, of, the level of state taxation as a percentage of GDP in the US has remained roughly constant for the last 30, 40 years. Mm -hmm. They just have trouble going above a certain amount. Right, but I mean that, that's not including the, the entitlements that's coming down the you – know, I mean – True, but they may not be coming down the pike because maybe we won't pay them. I don't know. So would you say? And on the other hand, we 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 have marijuana legalization coming right. up. We have more we have more global trade, gay marriage. I don't know people's views are on that, but that's not a that's not a status thing really to have more tolerance for gay marriage. So we have trends that are contrary to the doom and gloom scenarios that the state's getting worse and worse. I don't see the state retreating, but yeah. I don't see the state state. I don't see us having a a, a one world tyrannical government. Uh, run by the United Nations slash U.S. in ten years. But I mean, isn't that is it? Wasn't Mises? Didn't Mises make the argument that when you once you start intervening in the economy, you 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 have to go one direction or the other, you know, because the more like they intervene in. Uh, well, okay. Well, so well, that's a tautology, right? If you have to go one direction or the other, it means something's going to happen. That just means right. it's, it's like a random walk down Wall Street. I don't know. No, what Mises said was that controls recontrols. And exactly. he has a good point, but but that's well, not literally true. Total socialism, because you know you, well, you cause the problem, and people say there's a problem, and they say how do we solve it? Of course, it's the state that solves it. So they put in, you know, like a healthcare yeah. is a perfect example. Healthcare yeah. was a state distort, distorted, causing huge price, extreme prices. People say it's ridiculous. We need to have like somebody, and then and now we have you know, Obama. Well, healthcare is a good example because. I was talking to Jeff Tucker. We talk about uh, – Jeff Jeff and I are buddies. Jeff Tucker and I, we talk every morning when I'm taking my walk, and he's uh, preparing for going to work. And uh, we were talking about it just the other day, the other day about um, the core of the problem with Obamacare and the healthcare problem in the U.S. is the is the um, is the is the legislative ban. On health, on insurance companies, on pre-existing conditions. Once, and, and by the way, which almost every Republican candidate agrees with, they all agree that well, you can't do that. You cannot. Uh, an insurance company should not have the right to prevent, uh, to to deny coverage to someone who comes applying for, for insurance coverage if they have a pre-existing condition. They just can't do that. But once you admit that one thing, then you have the controls, re-controls right. thing. So then you say, well, okay. But then that means that you have a moral hazard problem because anyone who's – so the young people who aren't sick, they just won't get insurance because they know that they can just go get it when they need it. And But that means that the risk pool is going to be distributed in a cockeyed way because you're not going to have the big risk pool paying premiums when they're healthy. So then you have to pass a law saying, but everyone has to have health insurance. But then if you pass a law and if people don't obey it… They don't care. You have to have a penalty, and the penalty is this penalty they put in the tax code. Right. It wasn't, it's not the tax code. The IRS enforces it. That's what John Roberts said. It's really a tax. Right. So then you have one thing after the other that have to come in to make this thing work, and eventually it's going to fail, and we're going to have to have single payer exactly. and that's to make it set, work at They've all. set it up to do that, it seems to me. You know, yeah, I think they did set it up. I mean, I, I, of course, they, I don't even have health care now because I, I, I left I left a job I had early earlier this year and uh, you know it's basically they want they want $150 a month 
with a $6,500 deductible. And it's like 6,500 bucks. If I get cancer, I'll just go and, you know, no, sell, no, no discrimination against pre-existing conditions. I'm young and healthy. Why, why would I possibly, right. you know, why? So that's a moral hazard problem. So, yeah. so they have to force you to join it right. so that there's no moral hazard. So there's one control breach another. On the other hand, I think that Mises was in a sense was wrong, and so was Hayek in the road to serfdom, saying that any little intervention is going to necess- is going to lead to uh, fascism. Uh-huh. Um, if they're if they're correct, then there's no hope. Well, in other words, if one control breeds another, then there, there, there's no hope. There has to be a way to go down. There okay, has to be but, a way to. Well, what is it then? <laughs> How do we do it? You know, because it doesn't seem like. It doesn't seem like the majority of people are, are coming on, on board with our ideas, and you know you can spend so much time convincing somebody, making this these arguments. You know, like you're saying, you know, it's ethical. It's it's we believe in nonviolence. Like you spend huge amounts of time, but the person just it he just reverts back to the paradigm. You know, I mean, it's right, and and, and it's like how do you get people? To just commit to these, I like this is why I wanted to ask you. And you know, h- how did you? What makes you different? Because you're you, you got to these ideas, you stuck with it. You're now you're you write you you think about this theoretical from a theoretical level. Right. What made why do I why do I care why do I care about it? Why do right. I believe amongst, it? Amongst I don't other people who you know maybe only a hundred, maybe a hundred out of a million stick with this stuff. You know what what makes us different? I guess. I mean, I think the question is almost like asking, like, why I am, why am I an electrical engineer and someone else is not? Uh, um, it's it, everything is personal. Because um, uh, something made us, di- something made us come to these ideas, and if we yes. find out how to, you know, I don't I, see. I don't think there's a secret sauce we can find. I uh-huh. just, I don't. Uh, maybe there is. I just right. don't believe that at this point. I don't think. Look. At this stage in human history, people mostly have to scramble to survive. Not like they did 200 years ago. Right. Not like they did a thousand years ago. But everyone has a struggle for to survive. Mm-hmm. We have to work to survive. So people tend to specialize in various things: being a housewife, being a farmer, mm-hmm. being uh, a welfare recipient, whatever they get good at to survive, they get into their niche. There's not a lot of room left in their minds or in their time. … to just be interested in what you have to be interested in to have the understanding we have of liberty. Right. right? There's just not going to happen. So if you believe that the state – there's a natural economic <clears throat> reason the state emerges, and the state will emerge. Criminals will emerge when there are victims. The state will emerge when there's a, a populace that will accept it mm-hmm. because there's gains to be had by the people that control the levers of the state. So the state will survive, in my opinion, as long as there's a substantial uh, perception among the populace that the state is necessary and legitimate. Mm-hmm. So the question is um, – well, I would j- let me say one thing first. Public crime or institutionalized crime or state crime is, is distinct from pro- private crime, but they're the similar in the sense that they both commit aggression. Mm-hmm. Even if we got rid of the state, we're still going to have some private crime, and if you live your life in a crusade to stop private crime, 
you're never going to succeed because there will always be the possibility because of human free will, mm -hmm. right? because we don't live in a totalitarian society that someday somewhere someone might commit a crime. They right. might steal. They might rape. They might assault. They might batter. They might murder. Whatever. It's going to happen. Mm. The goal is to live a good life and have a, achieve a good society where that's minimized and where it's, it's as rare as possible. I think something similar is true for the state, although in the case of the state, I think the state actually could not exist at all if a sufficient level – so let's say 70 percent of the population was libertarian tomorrow by oh, yeah. the wave of a wand. Then the state would just disappear. It couldn't exist. Right. There, would be, there would be no public crime. There would be no institutionalized crime. It would just disappear, mm -hmm. but there still would be some private crime. It wouldn't make sense in that in that society to, to devote half of your life to stopping private crime unless that's your passion. I don't know. right? So I think that's one thing we have to keep in perspective. Um, but if you, if you believe that the state can exist only – and the state is the worst danger that we face. I right. do believe that. Um, maybe the AIs are next. I don't know. <laughs> um, so the question is… The only way to kill the state is to kill the belief in the state. You, there's a book by Victor Komen called um, The Jehovah Contract where some guy's paid to, to oh, kill God. I have that God. book. I haven't read it yet. Sorry. Yeah, he's, he's paid to kill God, and the only way he can do it is to persuade the believers that God doesn't exist. So he puts ah. these billboards saying, you know, on December 31st, God will be killed. And, and like every day that approaches, everyone starts getting more and more nervous. So it's this kind of thing about – it's a psychological thing. Interesting. Yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, – and I view the state as like God, although right. even worse because at least God is – doesn't exist and is innocuous, <laughs> fairly innocuous. Now it is. Now at least. Yeah, that's right. If there was a real God that was really demanding our obedience, then he would be our enemy just like the state is, even more dangerous because he's real. Mm -hmm. um, so the question is what can happen in society that will – that will cause this perception of legitimacy to 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 dissipate. Yeah. Now, I guess there's a binary choice. Either it's gonna either it's either it's possible or it's not. If it's possible, either it's just an automatic natural thing, or it's something we can hurry along, just like the Marxists want to hurry along the the you know the, the communist state. Right. right. They want to push capitalism to go on and go to Marxism a little bit earlier. <laughs> I do not know, to be honest, if we can do anything that will push it there faster. I do believe it's possible. There's nothing. There's nothing illogically. There's nothing logically impossible about about anarchism. And my view is that we will reach anarchy someday. But I believe it will only be after a certain number of the population have been intuitively persuaded of it, despite not being intellectually interested in reading Hazlitt and. The Tannehills and Rothbard and whatever, but because they become aware of the way the world works. And so what I keep going back to in my mind, in my lifetime, is the is the collapse of socialism in in in, in the USSR in nineteen ninety, I think it was. Yeah. So uh, it started around eighty nine, then ninety, ninety one. All this collapsed. And I would say that. If you looked at a cohort of people who had lived through the, the 70s and the 60s and the early 80s and compared them to the people who live in the 90s and the, and the aughts now, they would have a different perspective on their – just their intuitive per 
per, a perspective on on communism and central planning. Right. A lot more people now around the world automatically would understand that you cannot have a centrally planned economy. It will just fail. But they do, don't have a good economic reason for it, but, they, but they've seen the collapse of Russia. But I mean, Russia, you know, Russia collapsed. Russia probably wouldn't have collapsed had there not been a West that was pr proving it, pr giving an example of of the alternative, right? I mean, there we were, we were, the, we precipitated that in the West, and and if and if the West goes, there. You know, it's this is, this is an argument I've made before. Like America, it's sort of been this 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 model to to so many nations. And you know, China basically liberalized their economy in the 80s, realizing that they needed to have private property as a, from the model of the West. You know, but if the West goes, I don't know. Like, will will that? You talk to the average person in Russia. I've often thought like they must be receptive to libertarian ideas because they've lived through it. But I don't think that's the case. You know, I don't think that our I I think in the West, people are more interest are more uh, open to these ideas, even though our government's not as oppressive. You see what I'm saying? Well, that first of all, that that might be enough. We might not need the Russians to agree. I mean, they'll just if they don't agree, then the evolution, Dar Darwin, social Darwinism will work, and they will just fade into the past, and they'll right. be. But I, I think I would imagine your average Russian, just like your average Iranian, and maybe even your average North Korean. They understand. They know to a much greater degree than their than their counterparts from 40, 50 years ago mm. would understand. They understand that central planning, central economic planning, is disaster and cannot work. They have a hostility towards bureaucracy. Uh, there, that's that's my impression. I could be wrong. Right. That's my impression is that that the the collapse <laughs> of of communism was a teaching moment and has has discredited certain views. But I guess okay. it really comes down to the whether whether it needs to be explicit in people's minds or or implicit. You know, like in other words, can can we move unconsciously towards freedom as a you know general population is unconsciously sort of maybe they have an animus towards the state, right? But they don't they haven't really articulated explicitly what it is, or do yes. we need to like you were saying, intellectualize it, read the you know. Which could either path work? Or my, my my fear is that if it has to be explicit to work, then we're doomed because really? I cannot imagine a human society where you know sixty percent of the population are are gentlemen scholars who are reading reading intellectual works in their pastime. I just cannot imagine that. I think for for liberty to work. It has to be practical. Mm -hmm. For it to be practical, it has to be intuitive. Mm -hmm. it has to be. It has to work on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. You know, a farmer has to be able to approach a neighbor, and they have to be able to work out a deal mm -hmm. without going to court all the time. So all these rules have to com uh, comply with human nature. Mm -hmm. um, I just don't see it working if it has to be an intellectual. Movement. The intellectual movement ha has to be there as a backdrop, right? right? When communism fails. Or when this when, when there's a when there's a crash in the U.S. that people that the Federal Reserve and the, and the mainstream didn't predict, there has to be a background explanation for people to rely upon. And there's a filtering effect. There's a pyramid. There's right. you know there's the scholars, the academics, there's the students, there's the general you know there's the aristocrat. There's there's a whole different pyramid of 
things as a society, and that's fine. But I don't think we can rely on that. I think natural law, natural rights – I mean there's a reason there's a phrase in the natural law literature like that the, the laws of, of, of nature are written – are engraved on your heart. Uh-huh. What they're saying is that we all know. We all know it's wrong to hit your neighbor. It's right. wrong to steal their daughter. It's wrong to kill someone without a good excuse. Mm. We all know that. And for the few people that don't know that, the sociopaths, yeah. we have to just cast them out, keep an eye on them, treat them as outcasts. But and they, that's the distinction between society and civilization and between people on the outside. The problem so is that people – I don't see how society can work if there's not a natural – intuitive connection yeah. that everyone or almost everyone can see, and I think they can. I just don't think everyone is economically literate, right. and they're confused by the propaganda of the state, and they're, they're, they're used to the existing institutions of the state, you know, social security and all the protections the state gives you. Uh, it, I mean the U.S. is almost unique in this regard in the libertarian world in that we're the only major – Power that doesn't have completely socialized uh, medicine, and I have a feeling that most of our compatriots who are fellow libertarians in Australia and England, you know, in Canada, they're with us. But even they are used to their socialized right. medicine at this point. You have a feeling that even they are like a little bit leery of getting rid of that right. safety net. I'm just saying, have you have you detected what I'm saying that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, even even they argue for liberty, but it's but it's like socialized healthcare. It's you know, I mean, well, maybe we'll get to that at some point, but it's just they're not outraged by it like we are now because it's new to us, you know. So and we're we're creeping towards it in the U.S., but and so we're terrified of it, and we know what's coming. Mm-hmm. So we have we're trying to we're trying to pull the the reins. We're trying to slow it down and mm-hmm. stop it. But they're there already, and they're like, well, but I've got free health care. Right. And so it's, it's, it's more academic to them is what mm-hmm. I'm saying, although I think they, they, they do see, especially the libertarian Europeans, they do see that you know, like my wife had an MRI, MRI yesterday. She scheduled it last week. You, you can tell from the stories you hear from Canada and, and France and, and Britain, this, and Ger- this never happens. If you need an MRI or you know, some kind of crazy thing… You might have to wait for a year and a half or six months for it. Right. You know, so we have health care here. It's, <laughs> it's free after after you wait a it's year. It's free. You know, but here it's bedridden for a year. <laughs> yeah. You were saying about like uh, that. You know, the laws, natural laws, are written on the heart, right? And and that, but but is that the case? Because it seems like, you know, like let's say somebody, you know. You're 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 prosperous and successful, right? You've never you never committed aggression against anyone. You've served served people, and you as a result you've become wealthy. Now people will look at you, and if they have the wrong ideas, they'll say this person has exploited me. So therefore, aggression against him is not aggression; it's it's justice, you know. And so and that's isn't that what the state does? It pollutes people's minds to the sense that, like, uh, you know, they're just. They don't think hitting people is wrong. They don't think stealing from people is wrong because they have this alternate false concept of justice. You know. Well, they do, they do believe that in their personal. Almost everyone believes that in, in their, their personal, personal life, right? Yeah. Um, it's just that I mean, this is what Bastiat. I mean, Bastiat is really the greatest early libertarian thinker, right? And then Hazlitt after. I mean, Bastiat pointed out that 
there's a double standard, right? You you cannot believe that what is wrong for you to do is right for a group of people to do. Right. So, he, the, but this is the inconsistency that most people. But that's do, an, do that's have. intellectualizing it, right? I mean, that would require people to say, let's let's look at our premises. Let's look at what what is justice. Look at your premises, right. and 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 so intuitively they don't they. You can't necessarily get there intuitively, you know. Right, and that—that's the point about people being intellectuals. Everyone's not interested in analytically dissecting right. everything they believe all the time and having intellectual arguments about it like we do. So the—I think the question is, what can we do? Yeah, and that's one question. What can we do? Um, and there are different answers, right? You can just—you could be—you could accept the fact that what's going to happen is going to happen, and you can't make a difference. Or you could accept the fact that we're going to have increasing tyranny and things are going to get it worse, and you have nothing you can do about it except resist or comply. I don't actually believe that. I think things are getting better, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, or you can join – you can try to make a change. I just think that if you do the latter, which is fine and which I participate in to some degree, you need to do it with a, 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 a dose of reality. You need to um, – you need to recognize that this is an effort. It's an attempt. It's not an all-or-nothing thing. Uh -huh. If you don't, if you don't achieve liberty in the next five years or ten years of your life, it doesn't mean you should give up and say, "Screw it, the liberty movement's failed." Right. And I don't. I, I really. Dis the one thing I really hate is when fellow libertarians blame libertarians for not. They say that we don't have liberty because libertarians haven't figured out a way to convey our message properly yet right. or something like that. I think that's complete yeah. bullshit, and I I really despise that. Yeah. To me, that's blaming the victim. Yeah, and, absolutely. And to me, that's the essence of libertarianism is recognizing who the victim is and who the aggressor right. is. And if you ever blame a victim for being a victim, then you're taking the side of the aggressor, and I think that's completely wrong. But it's hard for people. It's hard for people to, to like you know. I always think about Adam Kokesh, who, you know, people say, "Oh, you provoke the state," and I'm like, "No, the state put he he had a gun, you know, the state put him in jail. That's wrong. You know, the only people we should be angry at or blame is the state for what they've done to this person. But well, it's but it's hard for people because they you know they they have their own way of approaching liberty, and it's like. Well, Adam Kokesh, he's you know he's too like provocative or whatever. I don't so, but it's but you know who's the victim here? You know what I mean? Well, I don't think he was too provocative. I mean, and he he was clearly the there's there's no doubt whatsoever in my mind he was 100% the victim. On the other hand, he did he did ask for it in a sense, and he was naive, and he admitted that he was yeah. naive. He I mean Adam, who's a friend of mine, and I love him. He's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um. I, I don't know what he was thinking that – I don't know what he thought he could get away with because – I mean it's just like – it's like charging a nest of German you know, machine gunners on the beach with a right. BB gun. They're going to shoot you. Um, I mean he did that, and he and then he got raided in his apartment. I think there were drugs found there. I yeah. mean if I was provoking this beast like that, I would have – you know, I think he, he knows he, he, he messed up, yeah. but he learned something from it. But he was not he was not the guy that wrong. He did ask for it. Yeah. He did provoke them. But he provoked an evil beast who had no right to exist and no exactly. right to attack him. Yeah. He was completely right. 
Um, so I agree. There's no there's no reason to criticize him for that. I haven't heard a lot of libertarians criticizing him. Well, yeah, uh, just for to that. say like you know it's stupid. Why why would you do that? Well, it's like because the only you know to assert some some people could say the only way we're going to affect change in the state is to show people what it is, which is that it's violent. And so provoking provoking them if it creates violence against the person is a teaching point for people to say like look. You know, and, and don't say, don't say, oh, it's the fault of the person who provoked it if he's if he's in the right. Yeah, you know? I, I agree with that. Um, I think we have to make a distinction between strategic advice and right. libertarian principles and personal advice. If your nephew or your son or your brother came to you and said, hey, I'm thinking about um, doing the following stunt tomorrow. Do you think I should do it? You might say – I think you're taking a big risk with your life, and you probably shouldn't do it. Yeah. But that's personal advice. It doesn't mean that you're wrong for doing it in, in, in the sense that uh, the person who would respond to that and hurt you is 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 not wrong. They are. It's just personal advice. Pick your battles. I, and so so it gets down to strategy. Like, is it strategically wise? I mean, do you? Th uh, let's take the Adam Kokesh case. Mm -hmm. So Adam took a big risk with his life. He paid a big penalty. Right. He was in jail for a long time, and he's he, now he's got a big record, and he's got to deal with it. It's probably affected his life dramatically. It's given him some fame, right? And that's fine. And some it's given some uh, notoriety to the cause, which is fine. But if you had to just say on the outside as a fairly neutral. Favorable libertarian observer, was it on net a good thing for liberty or for Adam's life? And my guess is probably no. I mean, it was a mistake. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not criticizing him for it. We all make mistakes, right. but I think it did not, it didn't change gun laws. It maybe made some people aware, but all they see is a guy that was put in jail for being a, a rebel, right. you know, a rabble rouser. Uh, and then it hurt his life largely. Mm -hmm. It helped him personally maybe for, for in terms of notoriety, but he was already n notorious because he's uh, a well-spoken and um, effective guy and a great guy. Um, but I, I don't know if those kind of strategies is are, are what we need, and he probably wouldn't recommend that right now, um, probably, that that's the yeah. way to defeat the state. So I mean – what what would you if you could think you know you've been you've obviously been involved in these this movement for a long time like project 50 years into the future what, what do you see the liberty movement at you know it's hard to imagine the future but try you know in 50 years if you could describe it is it just like it is now which is like people like you people like me writing you know discussing ideas has it grown are we starting to make inroads okay. on the state like yeah and, and and that's one thing that gives me pause about the the activist mentality is that you know, I've read a lot of things, and I can see the debates of people 10, 20, 30, 50, 60, 70 years ago, and they're having the same kind of debates, and a lot of them are these kind of um, optimistic, um, young, youthful, energetic, right. going to change the world kind of mentality. And they're, they're thinking like when Atlas Shrugged comes out, the world will change, You know, these things. Five years, ten years, fifteen Boom, years, we're going to change over. everything. Right. And they're all dead now, right. right? Or they're ninety years old now. So you see that the the dorm room sessions, the enthusiastic, youthful idealism is good and it's fine, but it's not always realistic. You mm -hmm. you can't really believe that 
you can't count on these things uh, coming to be. Um, it could be that in 10, 20, 50 years, 1,000 years, you're still going to have the same remnant of people, the same minority of people fighting about this. But my, my view, I'm actually fairly optimistic, um, and I don't know if we can – I think things – good things will happen, and I'll, I'll, I'll explain why. But I don't think it's because of what we're doing. I think what we're doing is providing a layering or a backdrop that people can eventually rely on when the changes start to happen. The changes will happen in my view. Remember what I mentioned earlier that if you look at the statistics like in the US, the level of government spending in the last, say, 30 years is relatively constant mm -hmm. as a percentage of GDP. Now, to me, that tells me that government has a natural limit to how much you can spend, mm. and I believe we're on the cusp of a technological and a industrial revolution, mm. a 3.0 revolution or whatever. And I think prosperity has already increased uh, a factor of 10 in the last 20, 30 years that I've, I've lived. I mean imagine how many products you buy from Amazon that you just throw away and they don't work right. I mean everything has changed. Mm -hmm. Everything is cheap now. Mm. Production has increased. We're about to go to automation, AI, robotically controlled things. Everything's going to be immensely cheaper. So my hope is my, – my, 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 my hope is that the economy is going to keep increasing maybe roughly exponentially, and the government's – the amount they can keep consuming from the economy will not be able to keep pace. Mm. Okay, and so the government will basically atrophy by attrition. Mm -hmm. Okay, it will atrophy by attrition. That's the only way I can see that the government, the state, mm -hmm. I shouldn't say government. I distinguish the government from right. the state. The state should um, finally dissipate, not in a Marxian sense of withering away, although in a sense withering away, but it will atrophy by attrition because it will become a smaller and smaller part of life. <clears throat> War will eventually recede. Taxation will eventually be meaningless because we're so wealthy we don't care. Uh -huh. Intellectual property will eventually become unenforceable because of 3D printing and torrenting and encryption uh -huh. and the internet. Uh, uh, the, the states control uh, – marijuana drug laws are going to recede, I believe, eventually. So the state will become – what's the point of the state at a certain point? There's no national defense. We won't need the state for roads. I mean it's all going to be eventually obsolete. It might take a, th a hundred years, a thousand years. Mm. I don't know. Mm. I'm thinking 50 years, 100 years is my guess. So it's, it's – So just... I think the state will become a smaller percentage of social life and will become basically a minarchist state just by – just by default. But won't people who, who want more things, better public schools, longer paid for education, better health care, I mean, won't they demand a, a larger portion proportionately? I mean, if you don't remove the if you don't remove the, the the concepts from people's minds, what would stop them from from scaling the state just as quickly as the economy grows? And well, I just think that they won't be able to um, persuade the people they need to tax. And to get into the schools, as many there won't be as many people left. Mm. I just don't think there will be as many poor people. Why would you want to send your kid to a public school if you can send them to a private school because everyone is rich? Yeah, I won't say everyone is rich, but us, so many more people are wealthy. Mm -hmm. They would just go to a, a private school, for example. Mm. So I think I think all the trends are against the state. The only thing that concerns me is the prospect of 
I mean, what concerns me is really the Fermi paradox, right? Why haven't we detected life in outer space? Yeah. This, this, this that concerns is, that me. That is a concern. <laughs> it makes me believe that there's one of two things is possible. Either we're the only ones out there, which I actually believe, yeah. I had to guess, we're the, we're the only ones. We're special. Yeah. I don't know why, but we just are. Or life is common, but it always evolves to an intelligent state and then snuffs itself out. Gosh, that's so a, I'm concerned that we're on the edge of the Fermi the Fermi suicide, and that we're going to have nanotechnology or a virus or AI something that just snuffs us out. Nuclear it, war. Couldn't it also be that intelligent life always eventually, when it reaches a certain capability, just transcends and and they're like we're like ants. You know, an ant doesn't know humans exist, but because yeah, I. I I've heard that theory. I don't. I don't believe. I don't believe that theory. Let me. Let me. Let me tell you. My this is getting off topic, but uh, and I'm a big science fiction nerd. Me too. Um, I don't know if transcendence is possible, but I. I've never liked that ant analogy because it's. It's just like the socialist comment that when you look up into the universe, you realize how insignificant you are. Mm-hmm. Now that comment is always a prelude to freaking taxing you or something like. They want to, they want to get you to admit your insignificance so that you will not object to being treated like right. a pawn. Okay, so I don't believe that crap at all. Ah. At all. Uh, if you're a living sentient being, and and I also I also am I'm skeptical of the idea of superintelligence. So I believe that AI is possible, maybe someday, but that doesn't mean superintelligence. In other words, I think there might be a limit to to intelligence, like. Maybe 185 IQ by Einstein or so. Maybe that's about as smart as you can be. So an AI could be faster, mm-hmm. but I don't know if it's possible to be smarter because you have to integrate so many things. Right. Maybe there's just a, a limit gotcha. to intelligence. Yeah. So all these people that believe in AI, they think you're going to have a super smart godlike AI. I don't actually have any reason to believe that at all. I think that AI is possible, but at best it's going to be a very fast version of the smartest people we have. That's interesting. Or maybe the average people. It's kind of like the so uh, it's kind of like the, you know, the the square cube, you know, the the reason ants can lift 50 pounds. There's a limit. We can't we couldn't humans yeah. couldn't be 10 times our size because physically we yeah. so in the same way maybe intelligence is limited like that, you know. I think intelligence may be limited. Um, actually, I th- I, that's my view. I think intelligence is limited. I think it could be faster, but that's about all. It just be faster. Um, and whether it's even possible, I, I my suspicion is AI is not going to be achievable for at least f- f- uh, fifty or hundred years. Yeah. I, I I'm not I don't I'm not one of these Ray Kurzweil types who thinks it's right around the corner. I don't think it's just a matter of processing power. I totally agree um, with you. It's like uh, Stephen Hawking actually said we should be worried about AI. It's like we're far from that point, you know. Where we? I think we're far from it, and I think I think there's nothing logically impossible. I just my my opposition is I don't think it should be a godlike intelligence. I think it just could be equivalent to our intelligence. Mm. But I think by the time it arrives, it's going to arrive because of uh, technologies that will emerge. That enable it, but by the time those technologies emerge, we will start incorporating those into our bodies too. So it's going to be a parallel development, maybe even a, a, a merging or a convergence. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyway, we've gotten off the topic. Yeah. Of AI. Well, oh, but 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 in a sense, this is what is I think will defeat the right. state. I think technological and economic prosperity and mastery of the universe mm-hmm. is what will defeat the state eventually, because the state will become. 
and seen to be more and more relevant. No one will care about the state. They won't need the state. It just will dissipate, and they may be able to defend themselves from the state. If we have high, 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 high technology, everyone's got a personal armor field. You know, leave me the frick alone. Right. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> Everyone. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I wanted before before we uh, we finish. I wanted to just run uh, one idea that we've I think we've talked about on email before is that I've been trying to put forward, which is uh, you know one potential way to get may, maybe make people uh, more explicit explicitly understand our ideas. Which is to formalize them in, a, in an organization structured similar to a church. I mean, for me at least, anarchism, liberty is—it's almost like a real. It almost occupies that 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 section in my mind of 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 religion, right? Which is like the yep. highest value, you know, and and, and right. it evokes those feelings. So, if we could set up a system where it's like you know people join—they're not intellectuals like we are, but like they want to be part of this organization and communicate those messages in a, in a way that activates that. Part of the brain, couldn't that be a way to to sort of make these ideas explicit? You know, to to a, a much larger to a much larger you know population. I mean, imagine if all of the libertarians, the leading theorists, now we got together at a conference and we said, let's create rituals, let's create some sort of structure, and then we're going to go out and proselytize the message to people, and we're going to say like, you know, you could be a member of our organization, but we are the we're the authorities. You have to respect that. And you know what? What about that? As as a some people don't like it because they think you know groupthink, you know, but it's not necessarily groupthink because yeah, no, I'm I, so I'll, I'll I'm gonna have to disagree with you on that. My I'll disagree with you mm. in part on this idea. I'll tell you why. I've, I've thought about these things too. It's not because of the groupthink thing. I don't think it's a problem at all. People have free will. If they want to join an association, that's fine. They can leave if they don't like it. I don't I don't see a groupthink problem at all because I'm not a um, I don't believe in this uh, brainwashing kind of uh, subservient notion. And some of the objectivists in the past, right? Some of the anti, the secularists, the anti-religion types, they propose something like a church. I think they call them secular. I guess I'm thinking of the uh, the uh, the uh, atheist version of the uh, alcohol Alcoholics Anonymous called secular sobriety centers instead of triple instead of AA. It's SSS. Secular Sobriety Center, but some of the objectivists maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago were proposing something like what you're saying. They were, let's have a, a weekly gathering that fulfills the function of a church gathering, um, uh, but it's secular in origin. But it's centered on liberty or humanitarian values or cosmopolitanism or whatever. Um, personally, just me personally, I – I despise church and organized religion. I have no desire to go. I have a we have busy life. The idea that on a weekend, on a Sunday morning, I would just spend four or five hours going to some stupid thing for a ritual purpose is ridiculous. But that's me. I've read people that are Satanists, and Satanism is not about worship of Satan. It's more of a ritualistic thing. You know, they 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 talk about the importance of a ritual. I understand that for some people. It's not for me, and no. my personal view is I hope the human race transcends that eventually. I I sometimes think we evolved too quickly. We came out of the trees too soon because 90% of humans pretend to be religious. I think only 10% of them are, but 
the others pretend, which is even worse almost. Yeah. But we can't. We're 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 basically monkeys worshiping dirt worshiping rituals, primitive science and philosophy, uh, just because we are too primitive as a species. Even though some of us have created uh, uh, spaceships and <laughs> lasers and you know um, uh, amazing things, so. I, I'm not a big fan of this ritual. I don't think – I think there's a natural counterpart to that. I don't think we need artificial rituals and things like that. I think you're thinking of our current society and how we could improve it. I think if we're to go to the next level, we have to put these childish things behind us. We have to let right. religion go. We have to let superstition go. We have to admit there's evolution. You know, we. Well, yeah, but I mean, those things could; those things would not are not contradictory to this idea because you're not saying you're not saying there's a god. I mean, because we're 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 threatened by the the people who believe in the state, you know. So it's like they're mindless, you know, to a certain extent. They go along with these rituals, voting, you know, watching the the, the presidential debates or whatever, and uh, and they hurt us in the process. So you were saying I, I you don't you, you were saying you wouldn't want to go to church, but what if you were like the the preacher, you know, wouldn't it be great to preach liberty to, you know, well, I guess in a sense I do that right, right. when I speak and when I uh, I don't view it as a, a church thing. But, yeah, if it's ad hoc and if it's natural and if it's organic, that's fine. Um, um, and I in a sense, I would agree with you that the state statocracy is a religion and it's more dangerous than natural religions. I mean, I would take, you know, Judaism, the Catholic religion any day over democracy or the state religion. Islam, I don't know. I'd have to think about that. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm a little bit leery. I mean, religions. I, I mean, I'm basically a Randian on this stuff. I believe that. Um, I don't want to offend any followers or people that believe in liberty, and I'm okay with religious libertarians. That's fine with me, as long as you uh, compartmentalize and you, when it, when the rubber hits the road, you really have to favor liberty over uh, the tribal. Uh, atavistic views that you pretend to like in private. I don't care what you do in private. That's fine. But you have to segregate. You have to compartmentalize. Um, but you know, worship of the state is like a false religion. You know, think of, just think of communism. They got rid of official religion, and you know, so people worship the state instead. Right. At least official religion. See, I believe religion originated as the primitive. A primitive form of philosophy, right? Like what makes the sun go up and down? The sun god. Mm -hmm. That's not much of an explanation, but it's an attempt to explain the phenomena you're seeing. Mm -hmm. right? So over time, you have the ancient religions, and then they go into monotheism, whatever. So you can see religion as being an attempt to understand what you're observing mm -hmm. right? In, in a primitive way. So religion is a primitive science, and… Over time, to gain adherence, and because kings and whatevers needed to get allegiance of the people, they co-opted it, but they embedded in it the moral practices of the day. Otherwise, they wouldn't get – it wouldn't be seen as legitimate. So religion tends to embody a lot of practical and common-sense moral teachings. Mm -hmm. So let's say you take one-third, one-fourth, one-fifth of religion. You cut that out. Like Jefferson did with his with his Bible, right? When he got rid of the mystical stuff in the Bible, the point is religion is a way of passing on practical and even libertarian uh, compatible 
ethicals, ethical right. and political rules, right? right? Even though it's got a lot of baggage. Right. But the, the worship of the state has none of that. <laughs> like the state is an artificial new religion mm. that's not anchored in a, something that's considered to be a natural deity that is mm. supposed to be good. Right. It's just a bunch of people in a committee barking commands out to you. Right. So I would regard the the retrogression from a real religion to modern artificial religion of the state is even worse. Right. Which is which is what uh, when you hear one of these so-called atheist, secularist, liberal, lefty types who worship the state, making fun of religion and tradition, I just think they're, they're worse. They're so much worse than your typical traditionalist yeah. right? because they have a new religion. They don't even recognize it, and they think yeah. they're superior and more scientific, exactly. and they're not. They're even worse. That's my perspective. Yeah. Sorry. No, I agree with that. It's uh, – I don't know. It's it just seems like you know the, the religion. I guess I read this book about religion as a, a religious instinct or faith instinct. I think it was called. The guy was talking of evolution from an evolutionary perspective. Religion gave you know, hundred thousand years ago, humans were in small tribes, right? But then what happened is there was some change in our minds, uh, uh, some adapt, evolutionary adaptation, which allowed people to believe in this. To rally around an abstract concept, you know, a god, right? And as a result of that, now thousands of people could organize. And as a result of that, compared to the smaller groups, they were able to conquer them, right? So evolution chose the religion, the ability to, to organize around abstraction as a, as a, you know, wave. But now we face the, the, the possibility that there, there will be the, this world religion of, of statism, you know, and all people will, will organize around it, and it's just. You know, there's no check against it. It's now there's no. We're not fighting it against anyone, but everyone is just believing in the state. You know, and uh, I don't know. I, I guess I have a, a, a much more like negative view of the future, and, and that's why for me it's just we need to we need to re react. We need to respond. We need to create some sort of alternative to this. Uh, I understand yeah. that. Um, I, I guess I would say. Um, if I believed that was likely, I would be really concerned. Like you know, like in the 80s, everyone in the 70s, all the uh, conservatives were worried about a one-world government, right. like the United Nations taking over. That doesn't seem like it's a realistic possibility. The United States pretty much has hegemony over the earth right now. Yeah. I don't think they're going to cede control to the United Nations, although they're basically kind of acting like a little mini United Nations. Mm -hmm. um, but. I think that as long as we have competition in some sense, right? As long as we don't have a one-world one world government right. that there's hope the problem is that even if we if we don't have one world government we still have the entire territory of the earth covered by states mm -hmm. and they all are in alliance with each other to maintain their monopoly over that system of governance right which is one reason I'm involved in the uh, the Liberland project. Have you heard about this one? Yeah. This is the project where uh, yeah this project in um to establish a new country, a free country, um, in a, a small territory, which is terra nullius right now. So things like this are going to start happening, uh, floating islands, maybe eventually colonization of space. I used to believe that, that was our only hope was colonization, just getting off the earth and yeah. leaving. But I, I, don't, I just don't want to believe that we have to leave to make it. I think we can make it here somehow. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how. Well, it sounds like you're you're 
basically the argument is we're going to outrace the state, right? That that technology development, it's you know, right? Yes, that's, that, that's my basic my basic hope and argument, and I think we can contribute to that. I don't think we can cause it to happen. It's got to be natural for it to uh, happen. It's got to be in an maybe not inevitable, but it's got to be a natural. There's got to be something about liberty that's more powerful than than status controls. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it, it, that's the reason we believe in it, right? It's more powerful. Well, it's more powerful if it's allowed to compete against the state. But if you know, if they if they control everything and don't let it to let it express itself. Well, I guess the I mean, if you take a, a more simplistic analogy, um, if you have a free society like the U.S. was relative to the USSR versus the USSR. Which one could beat the other? Which one could outcompete the other? And it may be in a direct war, especially a nuclear war. It's unpredictable. But the U.S. and the West did end up totally demolishing and winning and defeating the communist model. Right. So freedom, at least in that model, did win. It did right. prevail. And yeah. my hope is it's something like I, – I, I, I think of the economies like a Mustang, a stallion, wow. right? a big horse. And it's running down the, the desert, and there's all these little parasites on it, and they're just nibbling on it, dragging it down, and they're heavy. And the question is can it get enough steam to finally gallop ahead and leave those things behind, yeah. or will they finally drag it down into the ground, and it dies, and they just eat on its tusk <laughs> until it's died, and they die too? So to me, that's the metaphor right. I have in my mind. It's it's a galloping stallion, mm. and because I believe in freedom and because I believe we're right, I have at least some hope that there's a chance <laughs> that the stallion can finally break free of the grasp of the uh, of the parasites. Mm -hmm. um, when that's going to happen, I don't know. I'm hopeful in my lifetime. I doubt it, <laughs> but I'm hopeful in my child's or my grand my grandkids' lifetime, or maybe in the next hundred two hundred years. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't participate in the fight. I mean, if if sometimes you should participate in the fight because you're on the right side of things, it's the right thing to do, and you want to be on the right side of history. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, uh, it's it's uh, it's gone far over an hour, but I've really enjoyed talking to you, and I, I do appreciate you taking the time. So, um, I guess uh, let's uh, let's 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 keep in touch with you know as we go forward. And thanks a lot for talking. Thanks a lot, Steve.